I want to uh, have you start recording now, Rick, if you would, because I want to catch his testimony and um, my introduction to the Apostle Joe Rhodes. <laughs> so uh, a great testimony came into this week. I love it how last, you know, last week we had a testimony of the, uh, Josh, the worship pastor, having a word of knowledge that somebody's fatigue was going to break in the middle of worship. How many of you felt the strength of God's grace pouring into you during that? Time we were just sitting there. I did. Yeah, did you? You see, that's 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 real. That's that's uh, God's presence is what we are after. And when we worship, is about humility. And so when we finally get, uh, you know, um, when we finally get uh, over ourselves, sometimes it takes about halfway through worship. You finally just start your mind starts to settle down. Then you really start to humble yourself and really. Uh, Think about God and touch him with our worship. He begins to respond. And his grace is one of his most powerful responses. And, uh, boy, we all need a whole lot of his grace. So, uh, so last week, you know, somebody, uh, he had a, Josh had a word of knowledge. Somebody's fatigue was going to break and somebody who had suffered for ever with it it completely broke and they were completely freed and i love these kind of testimonies that take place because it shows that jesus is alive he did really rise from the dead i got another one this week from phil williams i love it phil's in the uh military's in the army reserves here that's a great shot of him uh he's got a rifle in one hand and a, and a gospel in the other and um he said he he texts me this from the field uh last week he says another by the way While out in the field in the middle of nowhere yesterday, church services were not set up. This is a mandatory for the Army to provide. So I asked if it's okay for me to do an informal Bible study, and my leadership agreed. Since the soldiers were comfortable with me, the turnout was much better than normal, and at the end, two soldiers gave their lives to Christ. (laughs) Great. I'm so humbled, and God is so awesome. Isn't that great? I mean, we are all ministers of the gospel. Everywhere you go, you are a minister of the gospel. You have the good news with you in the classroom or on the playing field in the sports or wherever you might be. And uh, so Phil, you know, knows that well, he just looks for opportunities. And the thing I love about Phil, he's also a very successful car salesman. And yet, at the same time, he uh, helps with the teens. He's on Mike's uh, team. Helps with the youth. And today, uh, his little girl was sick, so his wife, Christina, stayed home. So today, he is uh, volunteering in the children's church. I love those with servant hearts like that. He is completely sold out and letting Christ use him wherever he goes. I think he brought his gun to the service. No, he did not. For those of you who are pacifists, we don't let those on campus. Um, but thank God they have him out there. Uh, Rick Lund, if you don't mind, Rick, uh, forgive me for making this public. Um, Give me a thumbs up if I can make this public. Okay. So someone like Rick, his wife also is going through exactly what my wife is going through. But she had a double mastectomy and she's uh, gone through a second chemo round. And uh, here's Rick serving in the sound this morning. You know, just just serving Christ. Rick found our church off a postcard we sent out years ago. He... uh, one of our postcards we sent out when we first started the church, he put it up on his fridge for about six months and looked at it and finally thought, I ought to go down there. And now he's been with us for over 15, 16, 17 years. And, and yet his wife is suffering. And yet here he is serving us and serving Jesus. And as you know, my wife is going through uh, 
a very tough situation as well, starting chemo this week. I started a message last week called, What Do You Do When You Don't Get a Miracle? I got about halfway through it. I'm going to continue that next week. But um, this week, I've asked my friend Joe Rhodes to share it with us. Joe is one of my best friends. Um, it was uh, 17, 18 years ago when I started our church, and we didn't have a building. Every time I drive by his building, I hated him. I was very jealous and envious, and true emotions. I was jealous, I was envious, and I thought, how did that guy get a building like that? How could I ever get a building like that? So what I decided to do is become best friends with him so I could use his building for free, <laughs> which we have done on many occasions. See, I'm getting wiser in my old age. Uh, Joe has uh, scraped me off the pavement more than once. He's a very good friend. He began his ministry with his wife straight out of college, going to a very small village in Alaska. How many people lived in that village, Joe? A hundred people. They were there for two years, living in Alaska in a village of a hundred people. And because he loves, loves, loves Jesus, and he really, really wants to save the lost uh, to the four corners. So that's what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. And uh, Jesus said, no, I want you to plant a church, which he did 35 years ago, 34 years ago. And it's, it's a new hope right down the street here. And he said, and I, I, rather than you going on the mission field, which is where he really wants to be, he said, I, I want you to be a sending center. I want you, I, I can do a lot, much more through you if you would send many to the mission field rather than you yourself going. His wife just finished her Ph.D. program. Uh, she's a spiritual director now. Uh, I believe she's teaching at uh, Fuller as well as Point Loma Nazarene, Fuller, Fuller Seminary. So um, I asked Joe to share his message today on God's heart for the nation because there's nobody that has God's heart for the nations like Joe. He gave me the missions book, made me go on the mission field. I just wanted to send money, but he made me go. And uh, I'm, I thank God for it. And, um, and at the end of the service... Um, we're going to have you an opportunity to give toward uh, a people group. But Joe and I were in, when he made me go in the mission field, uh, he had just uh, about reached an unreached people group. An unreached people group is people who had never heard the name of Jesus before. It was in uh, northeast India, and uh, he asked me to go with him. So I finally went, and uh, we had an amazing time. 400 Hindus came to Christ, and 800 Hindus came to Christ in four days. It was just an amazing experience. And uh, so Joe said, we have sufficiently reached this people group. And uh, which, by the way, I'll tell you a story about a um, girl I met whose dad was one of the was the first person saved in the Naga tribe. And it's a, it's a huge backstory to that, Joe. And we went after the Maytays. And uh, so after that trip, Joe and I went to E3, where Stephanie's on staff. And Stephanie's one of our missionaries. E3 is the missions organization here in RB. We met with the president, Dan Heitzusen, and said, we want to go after another completely unreached people group. And Dan said, there is a group called the RC Aroma, two million people group, primarily Muslim, in Ethiopia. Why don't we go after them? So about six years ago, maybe it's been, we went there. We've taken teams. Many of you have gone, leading whole villages of Muslims to Christ. When they hear the gospel for the first time, they can't believe how good that news is. They really can't believe it leading scores of them to Christ. Since that time, we've moved into also doing water wells because many of them have no access to clean water or any water at all. One out of every five infants die. It's just brutal. And then Joe's heart swelled to saying, we've got to do much more than the gospel and water. We need to elevate this people group by teaching them the God of creation that they are made in his image. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a innovative, 
a way to do missions, a holistic gospel. And Joe is a pioneer in this field. So I've asked Joe to come today, share his heart on this matter, and then we have a special project we're doing in Ethiopia right now with the RC Roma people that we want you to give toward, give you an opportunity. So uh, that was a very long invitation to one of my best friends and a great minister of the gospel, Joe Rhodes. Yeah. And so, Joe, I've left you with five minutes. There you go. Are we, are we on? We are. Well, let me get a good look at you out there. It is, uh, it is great to be here, John. Uh, I feel at home. Uh, we partner together as churches. Let me uh, get rid of this stuff. And, uh, and as John said, over the years, he has become one of my best friends. And I mean that. And he's, 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 when I'm hurting, there's people I go to. John's going to be one. He's one of my first, first persons I call. And uh, I love the way you guys are coming around him and his family right now. We're seeking to do that as well. But uh, I know what you guys have done has meant, has meant so much. But it, it is it is. I've been so excited just to come and be here. And, Gary, I really appreciate a moment ago when you kind of just let us stay there. Uh, I just – we could have just stayed there. I was thinking, man, anybody can preach in this context, or nobody should preach after that. We should just stay and soak it in. And I was just saying, Lord, don't let me mess it up. Let me just uh, – let's stay in that place. But um, it is great, great to be here. I want to pray. And, and, in fact, if you will, get – did you guys get this in your bulletin? Okay, don't look at it yet, okay? This isn't reading material while I'm – preaching i hope anyway we'll get to this in a moment but that's going to share the project that we are uh that we are going to invite you to join with us in but i'd like to pray first okay all right let's pray let's bow our heads father we uh we come and you're here you are here lord it's so good Lord, it's so good to be in your presence. This is what you made us for, to be with you. And Holy Spirit, I just uh, we, I pray you would just remain. I pray for your anointing upon me, Lord, that I would rest in you. Lord, that in my own excitement over this, that I would not get ahead of you, but I would just let whatever you would have me say come forward from my heart and then into each heart here. And I pray, Lord, that what what is said from me today would land on hearts. Holy Spirit, that it would be more than thoughts and truths that might resonate, that might mean something. It'd go deeper. It truly, there would be heart transformation, that spiritual transactions would occur today. So, Holy Spirit, only you can do that. Only you can do that. I'm just simply an instrument in your hand, and may that be the case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a project that I want, we're going to, at the end, want to invite you to join with us in, but I want to give, I want to give the backstory first. Uh, we have a vision statement. I think, let's see how this works. See, we see, not, is the, not yet. Okay, never mind. Hold off on that. Okay, don't worry about that. I, that's going to, that's going to be at the, later on. Do you have some notes that say, uh, spreading the passion for the glory of God? Start, start with that and the verses. I want to make sure the verses get there. We'll, we'll be there. There we go. Okay. Nope, that's, okay, hang on to that. You, you, can, you, can, you can put that down. Okay, I'll get to that in a moment. Okay, we'll get to those in a moment. We have a vision statement, a mission statement, a new church. It goes like this. Spreading a passion for the glory of God 
from our homes to all peoples of the earth. Spreading a passion for the glory of God from our homes to all peoples of the earth. Now, obviously, the heart and soul of that is that phrase, that, that the glory of God. And I, and I love that topic, as your, as your pastor does as well. What I want to focus on is the last part, where it says, from our homes to all peoples of the earth, and specifically on the word peoples. Now, peoples isn't a word that we normally use. In fact, we say persons, we say people, we don't say peoples. It's synonymous with a couple of words we are familiar with, namely nations and tribes. So we're going to talk about what that is today and look at some verses. But first, I want to give you kind of my, my story, and John touched on it some. So let me first tell you how God began to really grab my heart with these things. Back in 1995, I went on my very first mission trip. My very first, we did spend a couple of years in, uh, in a little Eskimo village called Equak, back right after, right after college. Uh, then went on to become a pastor and really kind of, and to some extent, put that aside. The story of me wanting to become a missionary comes later. I'll bring that in in a moment. But in 1995, I went on my very first mission trip to Lithuania, which you may recall had been behind the Soviet wall for a number of years. And uh, I didn't, frankly, I didn't really want to go. But we had begun to encourage our people to go on the mission field, to go on short-term mission trips with E3. Back then it was GMF. And uh, we began to encourage our people to go. So I thought, well, if I'm going to encourage my people to go, I really ought to go. And so I signed up. And I'll never forget that first Monday night I was there. All I wanted to do was go home. I mean, seriously, I wanted to be home. But by, by Wednesday of that, of that trip, just two days later, three days later, God absolutely broke my heart. Uh, just, I mean, just ravaged. My heart. Remember, it was Soviet Union was 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 communist, and they did a great job of of keeping people from getting the Bibles, hearing about God. And so now, here I was. We were talking to people who had never seen a Bible, never seen one. They have a Catholic background, so they had heard of Christ, but they had no idea what the gospel of Jesus Christ was. And here we were sharing with these people. And I, I still remember as if it were, now it's been 20 years ago. I couldn't believe it. I'm preparing this sermon. I'm thinking 1995, 20 years ago. So it's 20 years ago, right about now. I'll never forget that a Wednesday afternoon and a bunch of people had gathered around in some hallway and one of the guys stood up and just started to share. And they sat there in rapt attention. And I immediately saw, man, I'm in a different place here. And it absolutely broke my heart. By Friday, in fact, in fact from that point on, If you just poked me, I cried. I mean, I I wept almost uncontrollably for days during that time. I'll never forget on the Friday night, the last night we were there, I was gathered with some some pastors who were there and our leadership team. We were in a restaurant. Fortunately, the lights were dark because all all I could do was cry. All I could do was cry. I didn't say anything. And I remember breaking away from that little gathering there, going off to a place to be myself. And And I said out loud, out loud, God, we are doing it all wrong. And I was talking now about my ministry back in, uh, in San Diego. And obviously that's an overstatement. But, but, but I, I came back and the, my people had heard something had happened. And bottom line, God began to say, you've got to do things different. That's when I really did what I wanted to do. I had one of those experiences that pastors have. When you go on the mission field, God breaks your heart. You resign from your post as pastor, and you go on the mission field. That's exactly what I wanted to do. But God made it clear that I was to stay 
and, and do, do what I could as pastor to somehow make New Hope be a mission-sending center. So basically, that's what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years. And we've had some ups and downs, some left turns and right turns, and gotten off the path from time to time. But frankly, that's still, that is the passion of my heart. From that, we became a hub of mission activity. Uh, mostly through E3. We had connect with E3. They, I called them my bus to the nation. So we were sending teams out. Almost every month there was a team going somewhere around the world on a short-term mission to places like Belize and Jordan and India and Albania and Russia and Cuba and Bangladesh, just all over the place. And it was an incredibly exciting time in the life of our church. About four years into it, my wife and I felt led of the Lord to go to a missions conference in Glorieta, New Mexico. We'd never been to this conference. Not something we generally would do, but we just felt like we were supposed to go. We got there. Even when I went there, I still wondered why we were there. The very first day we were there, I was walking across this parking lot, and I heard this voice ring out, Joe Rhodes, I've been praying for you. And I looked over, and it was one of my old seminary buddies whom I hadn't seen in about 15 years. And apparently he had joined the International Mission Board Organization of the Southern Baptist Convention. They had targeted some churches that they wanted to reach out to. And I was on his list. So went over and, and we, we reconnected. And, uh, and I said, man, I don't even know what this conference is about. I know it's about missions. What do you recommend that I do where I go? And he, he mainly said there's one seminar you have to go to, taught by a guy named Jeff Lewis. And it was called God's Heart for the Nations. So that's where I went. It was three, three days, and every morning I was sitting there. I sit in the back row. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a back row Baptist, so I sit in the back. And as just, it's, it's as if as he immediately began to talk, God began to blow me away. I sat literally stunned at what I was hearing. As he talked about this concept, which I want to share with you, of God's heart for the nation. And he, here's what I discovered. Again, we had been going on mission trips all over the place. We, were, we had become a very missionized, mission activity kind of church. But what I found out that day is this, and here's what I want you to see, is that, there, that I discovered that there's a theology behind our missions activity. That there is a glorious, stunning, heart-captivating truth underneath what we were doing. And here's what I want you to see. It mainly has to do not with the fact that people need Christ, although that's huge. That's important. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize that. That's huge. I knew that. I was, I was raised with that. I was raised in Southern Baptist Church, a very missions evangelistic kind of denomination. So I knew people needed Christ. But what this underscored is that our going, we are to go not mainly... Not mainly because people need Christ, although that's a good reason, that's a critical reason, but it is this, because we have a glorious, amazing God who is not being worshipped. And, and somehow that just turned something inside my heart, that this God, that there are people who wake up, not just overseas, but all over the place, but there are people who wake, wake up and see this amazing sunrise. And they look at it, but they don't know the God who put it there. They don't, they don't know this God. And this God who deserves honor and praise is not being worshipped. They don't know that this God came and, and loved them so much that he died for their sins. Their very son 
died on the cross. And that son is not getting the honor he deserves. Um, and so that's why we go. John Piper, who, that's just to clue you in, that's who I learned most of this from, a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. I highly recommend it. But he says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. And, 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 and when you go, when, when you, this really becomes accentuated when you go to these places, as I know many of you have, certainly I know Stephanie has and John has and others. They're worshiping frogs, people. They're worshiping snakes. My wife went, we were in Bangladesh, and there was, she went to this one village. I, I'd never heard of this. I, it's, it is a phenomenon we found out in various places. But she went to this one village in Bangladesh where there was this big tree, and it was filled with these big black bats. Bats. These bats, you know, black bats, hanging there. And it was a place of worship. And it, it just underscores that the true God is not being worshipped. The, the greatest... Listen to this. The greatest tragedy is not that people are lost without Christ. That's a great tragedy. I'm not minimizing that. The greatest tragedy is that the true God is not being worshipped. Now, what I've just given you is a God-centered perspective on evangelism and missions versus a man-centered perspective on evangelism and missions. And so how, how, does, God, how, how does God address that problem? Well, that's where I want to take you to some scriptures. And here's what we're going to find. That the way God addresses this is not that all will be saved. We know that. Not everybody's going to be saved. But what the way God addresses that is not that all will be saved, but that from every nation, every tribe, some will be saved. Now, I know some of you already know this. I'd never heard that before. So let me, let me give you some scriptures. Don't just hear it from me. I'm just going to give you a sampling of scriptures that point to this. And this is when we hit the, the verses up here. Uh, there's, there's my video. Okay. Genesis 18, 18. Listen to what it says. This is when Abraham had his call to, uh, out of the Eurycaldes. He said, God said to him, Genesis 18, 18. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, here's what, here's what I'm going to show you, though, is the word nations, the word tribes, the word peoples are used interchangeably. They are synonymous with each other. What you normally see is the word nations, but you will see the others as well, including peoples. Psalm 86, 9, all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Notice the word shall there. Not might. Not hopefully, but shall. And then Psalm uh, 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the, say it with me, the peoples. Psalm 117.1, praise the Lord, I'll say it with me, all nations extol him all, say it, peoples. Isaiah 12.4, and in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Isaiah 61.11, for as earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord, look, look at it, what does it say? Say it with me. Will cause, will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before 
all the nations, all the nations. And then finally, one more. This is just a sampling. Isaiah 66, 18. I'm coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they what? Shall come. They shall come and see my glory. In the Old Testament, the word either nations or tribes or tongues or peoples is used over a hundred times. And so I'm sitting there hearing this. I never, I had never heard this before. I, I was, I was in the church since the time I was a baby. As soon as I was old enough to be in a nursery, I was put in the nursery. And that was back in the days we went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had what we call revival meetings where you would go all week and we were there every, every night. My family was there. Four years of Bible college, three years of seminary. I never heard this. Now, I know I miss, I can be thick-headed, I know I miss some things. I don't think I ever heard this. And I was absolutely, I was absolutely blown away. Now, this, this raises some questions, obviously, is that, that need to be answered, that maybe you're already ahead of me. But what is meant by the word nations, then? What does that mean, nations? In 1974, in, uh, in 1974, a man by the name of Ralph Winter, who's ever heard of Ralph Winter? And most most haven't, and I get the same response in my, my church too, so it's all right. 1974, Ralph Winter, one of the premier missiologists of the 20th century, just a legend in, in the missions field, was speaking at the, at the Lausanne Conference in, in Switzerland to about over 2,000 um, missionaries and evangelists just from all over the world, just the most prominent missionaries and evangelists from all over the world. And he turned the whole missions world on its ear. When he began to speak to this and what he said, I'm sure he's, he's not the first one to say it, but somehow it seemed to register in the minds and hearts of, of Christendom at that moment when he shared that the word nations, the word, that's a word we use nations in Scripture does not mean does not refer to the geopolitical nations as we know them, like United States or like Great Britain or like France or uh, India, but rather what it refers to are people groups. Which, which means then, which speaks to groups of people, people have a common ethnicity, a common language, pretty much as one language in most cases, and, and a common culture, a way of living. They, they, they dress a certain way. They have colors. Their clothes are unique to them. And they have a certain mores and values that are unique to them. And they're, they're a unique people group. So, for example, the Métis that we have gone to, when you go and see them, they have a certain, they have their own language. They have a way of relating to each other. They have a way of setting up their compound that's unique. They have their own colors. They have their, and all the other tribes know it. Every other tribe looks at a Métis. They say, that's a Métis. When my, after we'd gone to the Métis for a while, my wife went over to Bangladesh to speak at a, at a conference there. And, and they told her, we have some Métis in Bangladesh. We didn't know that. So she said, Man, I'd like to go see these guys. So she, they drove out to some rural area, and she got to where these Métis were living. These were people who had been displaced from, Bangladesh, from India about 100 years before this. So they've been, they've been away from their homeland, from their people, for decades. But they looked just like they look in India. Had the same kind of clothes, same way of uniquely establishing their compound where they lived, because that's just what they do. And so, what this does then? So that's that's what a na- what nations and tribes and peoples are in the scripture. This then begins to change the way you view the world. So, for example, in India, there are thousands of people groups. 
Um, there's the Nagas and the Santalis and the Banjaras and the Dobies and the Chamars and the Koli. Uh, where Al Wilson, a friend of ours, Al Wilson goes to an area in India called Uttar Pradesh. They have about, they have about 200 million people with about 613 different people groups. In China, you have the Uyghurs and the Tuja and the Manchu and the Mongol and many others. And so all these people groups and, and in these other nations, while they may be spread out some, for the most part, they kind of stay together. They all congregate. They don't they don't go out from their place. They can't. They can't afford it. They don't have a reason to. They don't have a way to go. And so this is what is meant by nation. The second question you have to answer then is. As how many people groups are there? How many of these tribes are there? There's an organization called the Joshua Project. Who's heard of the Joshua Project? Okay, that's about what I got from our church. And that, that's actually, I think you might have more, John. Joshua Project is an organization, a missions organization that, that tracks, tries to do the best they can to track these kinds of things. Great organization. Mark, I'm sure you're familiar with those guys. But they estimate that there are 16,594 people groups. Now, I'm wondering once since they did this, because about three, oh, maybe a month or two ago, I saw on the news that a whole new people group was found. They found a whole new group of people someplace, probably Papua New Guinea, who the world had never known of before. So now it's 6, 16,595, I guess, as we can, we can say. But it's, it's, it can be a group as small as the Ak in Papua New Guinea, where there are only 200 of them. 200, that's it. To as many as the Chamar in India, where they have over 50 million. The truth is, we don't know for sure. But guess who does? God knows. He knows where everyone is. And he makes it clear, the gospel will get to every single one of them. There are places... There are some tribes, hundreds of them, where there is no gospel engagement. It is. I remember when I went to Bangladesh. In Bangladesh, man, it is on the other side of the we were We were literally in Bangladesh. We were on the other side of the world. I, I got a globe, and I saw, here's San Diego, and here's where I was in Bangladesh. I mean, it takes... You, you got, it takes forever to fly there, and then we take a train ride down to this other village, and we get on a car for two more hours, and then to go out to where we we're going to go, we got on this little, uh, these little buses. What do you call these little mini buses? What do you call these things, Stephanie? Yeah, not a rickshaw, with a motorized rickshaw, little bitty things. They have different names for them. And what's that? Yeah. yeah anyway, whatever they call them. We and 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 then we would get on one of those things for an hour or two. And and we were going to people who'd never seen a guy that looked like me. And in some cases, where they had never heard the name of Jesus. Never. And I remember, I remember driving through Bangladesh one time. And we were driving through way out to go someplace. And, and I looked way, way, way down this valley. And there were these homes, these lights. And, and uh, I just wonder, who, who's going to get the gospel of that guy? Here's the thing. There are roads to these places. And yet there are whole people groups where there is not only where there are not only no believers, nobody's trying to get them the gospel to nobody's able nobody's engaged with them yet. Um Let's go on. Let's look at the, the New Testament. Just a few verses in the New Testament. Because the New Testament continues on this theme. Matthew twenty four, fourteen says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. In the whole world as a testimony to all the nations 
And then the end will come. Now, I, I, I grew up. I knew the gospel was going to go out everywhere. I knew that. I never saw the all nations. I just knew we got to get the gospel to as many people as possible. And I still would adhere to that. Matthew 28, 19, what we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of what? Make disciples of all nations. He wants disciples. He wants there to be some who follow, who are followers of Christ in all the nations, all the tribes, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Here it is again, to what? Bring about, to bring it about the obedience the obedience of faith, not that they're just going to hear it, the, they're going to obey. From every nation, there will be some who obey the gospel, who follow the gospel among all the nations from his name's sake. And so not only will the gospel get there, but some will respond. Now, if you're still not convinced, one more verse, or a, a couple verses, Revelation 7, 7 to 9. What time, what time am I supposed to... Wait here. Got a good 11:30. Okay. All right. I'm gonna speed this up. We're almost. We're actually we're doing well. Revelation 7, 7 through 9. Check this out. After these things, here's the end of time. Around the throne. Look at what it says. If you if you even doubt this, this this settles it. After these things, I looked and behold. A great multitude, which no one could count from what every nation, all tribes and all peoples and tongues is like God didn't want you to miss it. He just put them all in one sentence. They're all going to be there. Standing before the throne and before the lamb and clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Um, it points to what I call God's agenda for the earth. God created the earth so that he could go public with his glory to make man and create a mankind to uniquely worship him. And he was all moving towards that one of these days from all these different tribes, there will be some worship. So, so, so visualize this. Use your, your God-given imagination to visualize this. Just visualize. Just go there now. Visualize the throne room or the throne in God's glory, Jesus is, is there. The Lamb is there. And further than you can even begin to see, millions and millions and millions of people and every color will be there. Every shape of eye. Every shape of nose. Every shape of, I mean, some, some tribes have a unique jaw. Some have high cheekbones. They will all be there. Everyone. This raises another question. Of the nearly 16,954, maybe 55, how many are unreached? I'm going to give you Joshua Project's uh, definition of the unreached. Here's what, he, here's what they say. I, don't, I won't have it is up there. Okay, it's, it's an unreached or least reached people. It's a people group among which there are, there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group. The point is they don't even if in many cases there are no believers, but the point is in the cases where there there may be some believers, they aren't strong enough to propagate the gospel without outside help. And so you have the sheikh in Bangladesh. Check this out, where there are hundred. 
there are 136 million. Bangladesh is a unique place, but there are 136 million, 324,000 approximately. As far as they know, there are no believers as of yet. Or the Koshi in India, where there are, who have a million, the Koshi in the, in the country, in the nation of India, where they have a million of them, no believers. Or the Thakali in India, a thousand in that tribe, no believers. There are dozens of cities around the world with millions of people in them, a million or more, as far as they know, no believers. The jo- here's what the Joshua Project estimates, and you get different numbers, okay? And even sometimes I get different numbers from them. But they estimate of the over, of, of the over um, 16,000, nearly 17,000 unreached people groups, or rather people groups, that they estimate that about 6,600 are unreached, would match this definition. Um, I'm not going to do the 1040 window. I don't have time to do that. But I, but I just want to say this. Part of the problem is that these, many of these are in the hardest-to-reach places. They're places where Hinduism is strong and Islam is, is really strong. Where in, in these Muslim countries, you, d- you just don't come to Christ and tell anybody that you, you die, you will die. I don't know if anybody noticed this. I'm sure some did. But back in the, what they call the Arab Spring, they did a survey. And it's just a survey. So how accurate it is, I don't know. But they, they, they did a survey in Egypt. And they asked, this, this is just a survey among the populace, just the average populace, that if somebody converted out of Islam to Christianity, what should happen to them? And 80% said they should be put to death. I was talking to a friend of mine who ministers in a country it's, 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 I, that I can't say because it's, it's just too dangerous. And I was talking to him, and I said, so what would it be in your country? He said, oh, that would be low. That would be low. And, in, and easily the 90-something, if someone converted to Christ, they would be, you would be put to death. And he, he, here's the thing. I'm not talking ISIS here. This isn't Al-Qaeda. This is moms and dads and uncles and brothers and sisters that if one of their own came to Christ, they would have them killed. And so these are, these are the hard places to go. But guess what? You can threaten people. You can threaten to maim them. You can threaten to kill them. You can threaten to cut their heads off. But when the gospel shines in their heart, some will respond. Some still will be reached. And it, it's, it's amazing how it's happening. And those of us who've been to these countries, on Ethiopia have seen this. God, God is doing amazing things. All we hear is the bad news. And there is some bad news out there, but there are some God is doing. There's evangelism taking place even in these countries that is absolutely phenomenal. Many, as you probably have heard, are coming to Christ through visions and dreams. I've talked to numerous of those in in Ethiopia who came to Christ because they had a vision. They had a dream in, in, in Iran. Thousands and thousands. Some say as many as hundreds of thousands are coming to Christ. It's just all underground. You don't hear it. You're not going to you're not going to hear about it. 
there's some amazing stories. In fact, there's a book out there called Killing Christians that I encourage you to get that book. There are about seven of them. Go get that book. It's a great book that talks about the persecution, but it talks about how these people are bold in some cases. But there's some amazing stories. I'll tell one Iran story told by a guy named Joel Rosenberg. Joel Rosenberg's a, an incredible writer. If he, if he says it, if he writes it, you can trust it. But I'll give you just one great story of how God's bringing the gospel to these hard-to-reach places. This was in Iran. You, you're not going to believe this, but it is true. It's in his book called Reformers. Radicals and revivalists, I think. It's all about the Muslim world. But he tells a story of these two, two people who got in a car, just on the, apparently on the border of Iran, filled it full of Bibles. Have you heard this story? Anybody heard this story? Oh, you're going to love this story. They filled it full of Bibles. They drove into Iran. Not a good idea, unless God tells you. It's not even smart, unless God tells you. They're driving through Iran. They're going down this back road. And this guy is standing along the road, and he stops them. So they get out of the car, they speak to the man, and here's what the man said. Do you have the books? Two or three days earlier, this whole village, almost the whole village, had had dreams or visions of Jesus. And a few of them said, go down the hill, somebody's going to bring you the books to tell you what you've learned about Christ. God's agenda will get done. So, the question then is, how do we respond? Well, I'll tell you what, before you go there, let me just, let me, just a couple things. I, I'm, I'm at 1030, so let me do this. Number one, ask for God to give you a heart for this. There's a little app called Joshua. Get, get, go to Joshua Project. Get an app on your, your, your phone. Go to employ, get the free app, Joshua, Joshua Project, and every day you get a whole new unreached people group you can pray for. It's great. It's great. Get it. It has a description of joshuaproject.net. But we can pray. Guess what? You don't need visas. Prayers don't need visas. Prayers do not need passports. And you can send people. What I want to present to you is, is that of sending. So let me tell you now about the RC Romo. As John said a few years ago, we, we began to want to go and reach a people group in. I wanted to go to Africa, wanted to reach Muslims, so we were led to the R.C. Aroma. As it turned out, they're probably not, they would not fit the unreached people group category probably, but they're really close. Ninety-five plus percent are Muslim. And uh, let me just show you real quick. Put, put those, can you put those slides up real quick? Uh, go to the next one. Just so you see where they're at, right? There's, there's a map of, uh, Ethiopia, or rather of Africa. That little yellow there, that's Ethiopia. It's in what's called the Horn of Africa. If you wonder what the Horn of Africa is, that's it. Looks like a rhinoceros horn. You can go to the next one. The next slide, that's Ethiopia. See that blue in the middle called that, where it says Aromia? That's where the RC Aromo live in Ethiopia. There's actually, we thought there were two million, John. There's actually about six million. We do, they don't, they don't have consensus like our census programs like we do. And so actually we've discovered there's closer to six million of them. As we begin to, as we begin to say we want to reach out to them, we, although we had originally, when we'd gone to India to reach the Metes, we mainly did evangelism. It was great. God used it. But as I look back at what we had done, I did, I, I couldn't see for sure that we'd really done any real transformation. There were some believers we felt. But if you were to go to most of those places, you wouldn't necessarily see the impact. So as we began to go to the RC Romo, is I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to go there long enough to make enough of an investment and to see, is there a way that we could actually change a whole people group? 
In fact, the question that I always ask myself is, what would happen if kingdom principles somehow would begin to saturate a people? And so we have, for the past several years, my son and I, who works with me in this, and he goes there two or three times a year. I go there a couple times a year, different times, so we're there every few months. And for the past several years, we have been working with leadership, getting to meet leadership, trying to see what are the initiatives that could bring about transformation in a region. And it's taken this long. It's taken this long for us to know, to meet the people, to meet the partners, to discover what would best work. We've done all kinds of reading. My son, who was a missionary in Bangladesh for a while, has been training for that, but also has just eats this stuff up and been to a couple, through a couple of institutes. And so he's always throwing stuff at me. And because I love this stuff, we read this stuff. And we begin to say, what are the key initiatives that could we, we might somehow facilitate, broker, bringing to, to this region that could bring about a transformation? So here's what I want you to think. The, the, the vision I want my people to have that I'm trying to get as many people on board with is let's think... Could, could, if God's kingdom saturated that region, what would it look like and what are the initiatives that are needed? So for the past several years, we've been seeking to bring together these initiatives. One of those is a church planting movement. And so what we, as we begin to work on that, we met an organization called the Horn of Africa who was doing a, who had, who had basically uh, put together and, and developed a, a program of bringing the gospel, to bringing the Bible to regions, not in the traditional way where you put a building up and get a pastor, rather through a small group, rapid advancing, a Bible discovery method, where you open up the word with a layperson, with a facilitator, you ask questions, and anybody can come. And this whole model is being used all over the world, in various places anyway, to, to spawn these amazing movements where hundreds of thousands come to know Christ. And once again, it's kind of all of the ground. Horn of Africa was doing this in North Ethiopia, but not in South Ethiopia, where we were with the R.C. Romo. So we connected them with the leadership of the R.C. Romo down there that we had come to meet. We brought them. We brokered the relationship. What we've asked them to do, by the way, let me show you a couple of pictures. Go to the next picture. That right there is actually a DBS, a little Bible study that I visited. Go to the next picture. There's a baptism. So for the past couple of years, we met Horn of Africa. In fact, Mark, you were on that trip the first time we met them. And for the past couple of years, we've been forming this relationship. So we've gone back just to see a few places where they began to use it. This actually is a baptism among the R.C. Romo people in a remote region in Ethiopia. How did I get baptized in that water? I mean, tell, no telling. In fact, here's how they do the, Here's how they baptize. Because they're afraid of what might crawl into their nose. Here's what they do. They go like this and like this. The baptizing is going like this and like this. And that's how they get baptized. But we saw probably 40 people get baptized that day. Um, you can pull this out right here. And go ahead and go to the next slide. Right there, that's, that's Aromia. That's West R.C. in Bali. That's where most of the R.C. people live. And this right here is, is just a little brochure we put together. The map right here that's up there shows the different places. So what we're doing is we're seeking to raise over three years $150,000. This year we need 50000 Our church is in on it. Your church today will. There are at least two or three other churches that are going to be joining with us. And so that we can then, what we do is we fund this. We don't go and do this. In fact, the leadership has said to us Americans, we don't want you to go. First of all, it puts a Western face on the gospel. Second of all, it perpetuates a Western dependency. It makes them, at least this is what they think. I know that's not true in every place, but with these people group, they think it would hinder the spread 
of the gospel. So what this will provide for is the training in these cities. It will provide for some, some motorcycles, some bikes, and some strategic leadership. It's not to pay for a bunch of pastors. It's to pay for the salaries of, of several key strategic leaders. Um, one of the leaders that we visited last year, who was a key man in one of these regions, came to me and he said this. He said, Joe, if, if we don't bring the Bibles to them, they will bring the sword to us. In fact, one of the Bible discovery leaders that we have worked with was actually arrested. His life was threatened. His family was threatened. I mean, this is real, real stuff. And so we're just simply saying, would you join with us? That's our vision. That's what we're doing. And we're going to close with this. Worship team, why don't you guys come? I'm done, John. Why don't you, worship team, why don't you come on up? I'd like to close. Do we have time to sing Revelation song? Okay. Because that's, that's what we just read about. And then, John, I'll give it to you. Um, but let me just, as they're coming, let me share this. For me, it's still, it's hard, it's hard for me to imagine that it has been 2,000 years since Jesus came. And there are still so many unreached people. I just, I go, it just shouldn't be. I understand why. Uh, yeah, the enemy has just constructed all. But guess what? He, he, he won't win. Let me tell one, one final thing. My very first trip to India, you know, along the way, I've had key moments and experiences that just kind of burned this into my heart. But my very first trip to India, about the second night I was there, we, we'd been reaching out to the Métis. And I don't know if I don't know if it was a dream. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know if I was asleep or awake. All I know is all of a sudden I saw with my mind's eye a sea of faces. And they were it was in color. These were dark faces, which most places I go, they're they're dark skinned. And and they were all they were all going like this. They were all going. They were all doing that. Wow. Everyone. And I knew instantly what it meant. I knew these were the people that in their heart were already ready to say yes. They just needed to hear it. We've gone to some people and shared the gospel and they heard it for the first time. I've met some people like this and they've said, what took you so long? They were actually angry. My point in saying this is they're ready. It's going to get done. The question is, is, is let, we, we get to get in on it. It's to what extent do we want to get in on it? This is just one way. You guys do a lot of other things, but we're inviting you to join with us to bring it to these, to these people here. All right, let's, let's worship. While we're uh, worshiping in the song, I want you to pray and ask the Lord what you'll do. Um, I want to commit $10,000 to this initiative. We already support um, our mission, our mission's work in Ethiopia to the RC Roma. This is a unique three-year um, initiative for $150,000, multiple churches involved. I want to commit 10000 So if you would pray while we worship here, then we're going to receive an offering and you can give uh, toward that. Miss Brenda? Are you in the house? Um, should they uh, 
make it out to GPC and we funnel it through. And also after the offering today, which many may not be prepared, um, they can give online. Or should they go through the envelope and the brochure through Discovery and Light? Okay. So you just make the check out the GPC. In the memo line, put uh, DL, Discovery and Light. If you go online to give, uh, you can put, there's a place there for you to say, this is for Discovery and Light. And uh, we'll know what it's for. So as we worship, Gary. You know, I normally don't want to jump in like this, but during worship, Francisco came up to me with a word prophetic word and it just didn't quite seem to fit with where we were at that time and as Joe started to speak he barely got three words out of his mouth and it was uh, confirmation of Francisco's word so I really think now is the time that he should share I think it's really an appropriate time it was a brief word but it's it's right on target for those of you that don't know uh, prophecy is when the Holy Spirit speaks spontaneously it's in the Bible in the first Corinthians chapter 11 chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the gift of prophecy is the Holy Spirit says something now, doesn't trump the written word of God, but uh, we test it to see if this is God speaking to us right now. And so uh, Francisco is tried and true, so we trust that when he speaks, this is the Lord. Thank you. Um, I got this word, and I haven't been prompted with something and then to share it in a while. So I got this word, it was so small, and I said, Lord, really? you give me more, like more specific, and I can look good when I say it, <laughs> because it was so small, and it says, respond to my beauty, respond to my beauty, he keeps saying that, and, and I said, what else, he says, respond to my beauty, and, and, and then he gave me images and, and circumstances, so I understand, I can walk to a place, and I can tell when people respond to his beauty because I, I can feel the attention and I sometimes say, oh, wow, I probably look good. And then I say, no, it's you, Lord. It's you and me. That's what they see. But God says, respond to my beauty. And then I see people coming to, to meet him because they were attracted to that beauty of God and they were with their feet like this, closed, and then they kind of like open and respond. And I saw some people going to their knees and having a case to criticize God and to say something against God and they, they couldn't speak and they would respond to their beauty, the beauty of God in humility and it was like, I said, gosh Lord, what is this? And it fits so, so well to where you were saying, praise God. Go ahead and stand to our feet and worship God this morning.